Good morning, church. Great to be back with you again this morning. It's always a joy uh, to be able to come across from Perry Sound and, and be with you here this morning in Bracebridge. What a sweet time of worship. What a, what a privilege it is to be able to meet with God's people and lift high the name of Jesus to extol greatness to our God, the greatness of our God. Amen. God is great. Amen. Hey, if you're visiting with us, we're actually in a series right now looking at the greatness of God. We're in a series called Descending into Greatness. We've been looking at the story of Joseph. So if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, if you forgot to bring one with you, that's okay. You're going to need one this morning. So just throw your hand up in the air. We have ushers here that would love to come forward and put a copy of God's Word into your hands. If you don't have a Bible, take this one with you. That's our gift to you this morning. So we're at the final, uh, final sermon on our, on our series of Joseph. So there's still quite a lot of story to cover, okay? We kind of got to the finale of the story. If this is your favorite show on Netflix, it's like season 14, episode 25, okay? Don't worry, we're not doing the hour-long special at the end, but we do have quite a bit of story left to cover. So I'm going to be narrating a little bit, paraphrasing some of the story, but we're going to also jump in to some particular text as we continue to look at who, who Joseph was. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing that Joseph was a man who, who descended. Joseph was a man who came humbly before God, and he experienced God in all of his greatness. Joseph realized his life, his identity, his purpose was to walk with God, to be in relationship with him, to glorify him. And so we've seen that through every circumstance of Joseph's life so far. There's been a lot of water under the bridge so far in the life of Joseph. And through the ups and the downs, Joseph was able to say each and every time, it's not about me, it's about who? It's about God. God is great, and he has shown me great grace. Pastor John last week walked us through chapters 39 and 40 and 41, and it seems like Joseph's life is on this downward spiral. He asked us some questions. One was, in our life circumstances, are we going to look in and say, what can I do? What can I find within myself to fix things? Are we going to look out to the world around us and say, who's out there to help me? Maybe my friends or my family, or are we going to look up and say, it's in God who I trust. So let's look at where we left off the story of Joseph. We used a slide last week to, to map out a little bit of his life and see where he's been so far. We started off with Joseph, right? And he was, he was his dad's favorite. And, and God gave Joseph a dream. God gave Joseph a dream that, that he was going to exalt him into this place of power, that even his brothers, his older brothers, that hated him, that couldn't speak peacefully about him, that were jealous of him because he was daddy's favorite. Even his brothers and his family were going to bow down to him. Joseph knew that, that this story, that this message that God had given him wasn't going to be a popular message to share, but in obedience to God, he shares it with his brothers. And what happens? Joseph's life takes a downturn. The brothers who, who hate him, who are jealous of him, they conspire to kill him. But then they decide, okay, let's, let's throw him into this pit. Let's, let's sell him into slavery. Let's get rid of Joseph. But then, so Joseph goes uh, into slavery, but we see Joseph's life takes a little bit of an upturn again because Potiphar buys him, and, and he finds favor with Potiphar. Potiphar. Potiphar puts him over all of his house. But then what happens? Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. But Joseph, in his heart, he says, no, God, God has given me everything I need. God has brought me to this place. How, how would I sin against him like that? So he refuses Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar's wife accuses him accuses him of rape, so, so Joseph goes to prison under false allegations of rape. So another downward turn in Joseph's life. But, but what do we see? Joseph remains true to who God is. Joseph continues to, continues to exalt God, to, to lift him high, to, to interpret even dreams of other prisoners while he's in prison, and he finds favor with the prison guard. So his life's on the up a little bit. Hey, you're still in prison, but at least you're in favor, right? Then we see that, that one, of the, uh, one of his friends, the dream that he interprets is that this friend is going to be uh, restored back into the palace, restored as, Pharaoh, as Pharaoh's cupbearer. So Joseph pleads with him. He says, do this one thing for me in kindness. D- don't forget me. Tell Pharaoh about me. Tell Pharaoh about my life, how I've been here, what's happened, how I got here. Please get me out of this place. So the dream comes true. The guy goes back to Pharaoh. But does he remember Joseph? Does he? No, right? He doesn't remember Joseph. He leaves him there. So we come that Joseph's in this lowest point of his life. Even his friends have forgotten him in prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream. So we're getting close to where we left off the story. Pharaoh has this dream and nobody can interpret the dream. And Pharaoh says, there's got to be somebody in the, in the whole of the land of Egypt that can interpret this dream. And then the cupbearer who's beside him suddenly, suddenly remembers Joseph, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this guy, Joseph, actually, and he interpreted my dream when I was in prison. So Pharaoh says, okay, well, go get him, get him cleaned up, bring him before me. Joseph comes in and Pharaoh says to him, hey, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. 
Joseph's life so far, he's been humble. He's constantly been obedient to God. He's, he's, he's glorified God, but it seems like he, it's taken him to this lower and lower and lower point. Joseph finally has his one shot to, to prove himself and say, yeah, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, get me out of prison. Like, what are you going to have for me? What does Joseph say? Joseph says, it's not in me, it's God. Pretty gutsy move to say in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh who is to be treated as a God, who is to be worshipped as a deity even in, in, his, uh, in his land of Egypt. Joseph says, I can't do that, but God can. And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream that there's going to be seven years of plenty in the, in the land of Egypt, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. So he says, this is what you're going to have to do, Pharaoh. You're going to have to find somebody, and, and they're going to have to put some rations together and, uh, and keep some aside in these seven years of plenty. So in the famine, there's going to be food for everyone. So chapter 41, verse 39, Pharaoh says this to Joseph. Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and, and my people uh, shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all of the land of Egypt. Wow. Joseph's life just took a major turn for the upright. Forgotten in prison to now he's basically king of Egypt. The, the king is even saying, the only difference is I'm sitting on the throne. You're, you're, you're second in command here, Joseph. So God exalts Joseph over, over all of Egypt, and it seems like his life is great now. So, so how's, how's God going to call Joseph to glorify him now? How will Joseph experience God and all of his greatness? Well, now comes chapter 42 is where we're going to start this morning. Now comes the biggest test for Joseph. The biggest test for Joseph. What's chapter 42 entitled? The brothers go to Egypt. The deepest wound, the biggest hurt, all the pain and suffering that Joseph had endured in his life, where did it all started from? Where did it all escalated from? It started from his brothers betraying him in the first place, selling him into slavery. But we see that Joseph was living, understanding the grace of God, that, that he in himself was nothing, but, but it was God who had graciously given everything he had. It was God who raised him up. It was God who brought him out of the pit. It was God who would restored Joseph to this new high place he was in. Joseph was living under the grace of God, realizing that everything he had was, was because of God. So the question this morning for us as we jump into this passage is, what does it look like for us to live under grace? What does living under grace look like this morning? Well, let's get into it. Chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? He's like, why are you standing right here? He said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob said to Benjamin, sorry, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers. For he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and, hello, and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Some 20 years later, here's Joseph's dream. Here's God's promise to Joseph coming true right before his eyes. They come in and they buy before Joseph. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes now. How are you going to react? How would you treat the brothers? I don't know about you, but you, you ever had an argument with somebody? You, you've kind of got into things and you've maybe hashed it out and you have a difference of opinion. And you know what? Even just by the time you just jumped in your car and the 10 minute drive home, you've played that argument over in your head like 15 times, right? Oh, I can't believe they said this. And, and I was stuttering. And I didn't know what to say, but I should have said this. And man, if that comes up again, I'm, that's totally what I'm opening with, right? And we play this argument over in our heads, and, and we have all of these things that well up inside us, like, this is what I should have said, this is what I should have done. Joseph had years for hatred and bitterness and anger to well up within him. He had years to plot exactly what he would do if he ever seen the brothers again. Let's face it, he was sitting in prison, he didn't have a whole lot to do, right? If revenge is a dish best served cold, this one's had 20 years in the freezer for Joseph. But what does Joseph do? Well, let's read on. Well, it seems like he kind of roughs them up a bit. He starts accusing them of being spies and wanting to take over the land. In verse 9, he says, he said to them, You are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. Egypt's in a vulnerable position. They're in famine, right? In verse 10, the brothers say, No, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Yeah, right. 
Verse 13, we, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. I don't know about you, but if I'm Joseph, I'm starting to develop a serious eye twitch here with the anger just holding it in. We're honest, man, and, and yeah, one of our brothers is no more. They're talking about him, what they did to him. But we see here that Joseph's heart is actually to get his whole family there. So Joseph's a smart dude. He realizes that, that one of them, that Benjamin's back home, so he's, he says to them, okay, I want you guys to prove, prove it. Prove that what you're talking about is really true. I'm going to take Simeon. I'm going to take one of you. You're going to be held in prison here. The rest of you go back. Get your brother Benjamin, and let's see everybody. Let's see if your story adds up. So he's coming after Benjamin, too. If you're reading the story for the first time, you're thinking, oh, man, Joseph's rounding them all up. Joseph's going to open up a can on these guys, right? And then you keep reading, and then you realize that Joseph is going to forgive them. Joseph actually already has forgiven them without them even asking. How do we, how do we know Joseph's already forgiven them? Look at verse 25. He has no ill will towards them. Joseph, so the brothers are leaving to go back and get Benjamin. It says, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Joseph not only seems to be forgiving them, he seems to be loving on them too. He was like, yeah, you guys come for food. Here's all the food you can carry, and, and here, it's going to be for free. Oh, and here's some snacks for the road too. Why are you going home? And you think, How? How would Joseph be able to do that? He's living under the grace of God. He's ready to forgive. His life isn't about him and who hurt him or who did what to him. His life is about obeying God and glorifying God. Maybe you're like, well, how, how could you do that? That seems lame. If I was Joseph, I'd want to wipe them out. I'd want, them, I'd want to put them in prison. I'd want to be like, get your toothbrushes out, guys. There's the toilets, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you have people in your life that have hurt you deeply. People that if you've seen them again, if you cross paths with them again, maybe you hope you never do, but if you cross paths with them again, where would your heart be at with them? Maybe you've had people who have betrayed you, who've taken advantage of you, who've broken your trust, who've wronged you. I'm sorry to say it, if you don't, at some point in your life you probably will. Where's our first point this morning? Living under grace means I practice forgiveness. God calls us to forgive. Maybe you're like, I, I don't know how I could forgive this person. I don't, want, I don't want to forgive this person. How can I just forget about all the things people have done to me? God, if you don't understand some of the things that have happened in my life, like they, they've wrecked my life, they totally changed my life, and the things that have been done to me are unspeakable. How am I supposed to forgive that? Well, let's look at what does God tell us about forgiving someone? What does Jesus say about forgiveness? In Matthew 6 and 12, we, we see the Lord's Prayer. The, the disciples ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, how should we pray? So Jesus says, okay, well, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread and, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus commands us that we must forgive. We must forgive our debtors. No strings attached. No buyout clause. No, just you just have to forgive your friends or your family or the people who are close to you. Forgive our debtors, anyone who wrongs us. And in case you're wondering, well, is that, is that really so important? Like, it's, it's just part of the prayer, right? Jesus goes on to clarify in, in verse 14 after, that, after the Lord's Prayer. He says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespass. Wow. What, why would Jesus put such a, such a high price on forgiveness? Is he saying if we don't practice it, we won't be forgiven? What is the Bible? If, if we aren't forgiven for our sins, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, that it's, it's total separation from God. So, so does that mean if, if, I like, if I haven't forgiven someone, if I've kind of forgotten even to forgive someone, maybe someone hurt me when I was in high school or when I was a little kid, if I haven't forgiven them, is Jesus saying, I'm separated from him, I'm going to hell? Well, no, I, what Jesus is saying here, he, he, he says that every, every good tree should bear good fruit. He's saying, you know what, if you've truly experienced the grace of God, what, what is the grace of God? Well, when I was in Sunday school, I learned it this way. I was taught gr grace, great riches at Christ's expense. 
okay? The, the grace of God is, hey, we, we deserve all to be punished. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. We deserve that punishment. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But what did God do? God came, stepped out of heaven as a man, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, didn't deserve the punishment, didn't deserve to go to the cross. But what did he do? He did it willingly for us so that what? We could be forgiven, that we could have our debt paid, that we were bought with a price, and the price was the blood of Jesus. And, and we didn't deserve that. And Jesus forgave us, and we didn't deserve that forgiveness. So if we're living under that grace, if we've experienced that grace, he's saying, how could you hold out forgiveness on someone else? If you truly experienced that grace, if you're living under that grace, how could you come to somebody else and say, yeah, but I'm not going to forgive you. You, you did that to me. You, you really wronged me. You, you meant to do that. I'm not going to, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if, if, if that's your heart, you haven't truly experienced the grace of God. You're not, you haven't really, you're, you're, there's something you're not grasping about the gospel. There's something you're not understanding about Jesus that for, for what was done for you. Because if you truly understand that, you're going to practice a heart of forgiveness. And you know what, if we don't? If we don't practice forgiveness, what are we really doing? We're, we're denying Christ. We're, we're denying that grace in our life. Not practicing forgiveness or choosing to withhold forgiveness, it's to deny Christ's riches that he's given you. What happens to those of us who deny Jesus with our lives? Matthew 10, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men denies me with their life, I will also deny before my Father who is in Christ. We are called to forgive as Christ followers. As we experience Christ, we should want to forgive. That should be our heart that we want to forgive other people. So here's a big part of where we struggle with forgiveness. How do I forgive someone who doesn't want forgiveness? How do I forgive someone who doesn't ask for forgiveness? How do I forgive someone who's actively going out against me and doesn't care for forgiveness, who doesn't even think they need it. Why would God call me to forgive people who intentionally went out of their way to hurt me? Am I supposed to just be like a doormat my whole life and forgive all these people? Here's the thing. Forgiveness is a decision of the will, of our will. Since God commands us to forgive, we must make a conscious choice to obey God and forgive. And you know what? The person that's wronged us, they may not ask for forgiveness. They may not want it. They may not ever change, but that doesn't negate the fact that God's command to us in our hearts and in our lives was to forgive, to practice forgiveness, to forgive our debtors. You hear people say all the time, right, well, we're, we're just supposed to forgive and forget. That's how you do it. You just forgive and forget. Well, there's a problem with that. I don't know about you, but I just can't selectively delete events out of my mind, Right? I can't truly, really just forget. In fact, the people that have wronged you and hurt you and have been against you, they're probably the memories that are most seared into your mind, right? So how are we just supposed to forgive and forget? The Bible says that God does not remember our wickedness in Hebrews 8. But, but here's the thing. God is still all-knowing. God remembers that we, God knows that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why he sent Jesus, Right? I've got a bad memory. I have to write stuff down. I've got like a whiteboard in my office. And if you're talking to me and you're like, hey, can you send me that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll send you it later. I'm not going to send you it later. I'll forget about it. I have to take my phone out. I have to write it down, take a note, whatever it is, so that when I look at it again, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I have to do that. It's a flawed system because sometimes I forget to look at the whiteboard. But <laughs> here's the thing. God does not forget sin. The sins of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all of these people that we can read about they're written down in his book. They're here in God's word in front of us. So God doesn't forget, but here's the difference, and it is a difference. God chooses not to remember. Having been forgiven, what, what does the Bible say? It's by our faith that we are justified. We're looked on just as if we'd never sinned. We're justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we're just condoning the offense. Forgiveness doesn't just mean that we're saying, hey, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with what you did to me. It doesn't mean you, you know what, I, I know you stole from me, but, but that's okay. Here, here's the keys to the car. Take it for a spin. It's saying, what you did to me was wrong. The sin that you committed against me was wrong, but you know what, just as Christ has forgiven me, I'm also going to forgive you. 
That's what Jesus did on the cross. What's the cross? The cross is the biggest statement of a problem, of our problem, of sin. Why? Because Christ had to come and die for us. Pretty major problem. But, but the cross is also the biggest statement of a solution, of a price that was paid in Jesus Christ because he's no longer there. He's risen, amen? It's not condoning the offense and saying we're, we're okay with that. But here's the thing. The, the act of forgiveness is one of the most powerful testimonies to Christ you could ever give. Why? Because it's exactly what Jesus did for us. It's forgiveness on display. Forgiveness is the gospel on display for all to see. You're saying, I'm choosing to forgive you because I've been forgiven. So how do we, how do we forgive as Christ forgave? Well, here's, here's one thing we have to do. We have to separate the sin. We have to separate the action from the person. You have to separate that action, that sinful thing that they've done to you from that person. Because here's the thing, if we don't, we're just going to end up with nobody else around us. If we don't, we're going to say, that person hurt me, so I'm never going to talk to them again. That person shared something about me that I didn't want them to say, so I'm never, I'm never giving them anything again. That person stole something from me, so I'm never going to let them near, anywhere near my house. That person stood me up 10 minutes before you we were supposed to be somewhere, so I'm never inviting them to anything else again. It's going to be a lonely life. Psalm 103, how does, how does God deal with our sin? How does Jesus deal with our sin? It says, he, the Lord, does not deal with our sin Sorry, does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. But as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove, so far does he separate our transgressions from us. Jesus separates our sin from us. How far? As far as the east is from the west. How far is east from west? Well, get in your car and start heading east. When do you reach west? You don't. You're just always heading east, right? You can just go round and round in circles all day long. You're always east. The GPS is never going to say, you have arrived. You're always heading east, right? That's what Jesus has done with our sin. He separated it from us so that we can be looked on and seen as a child of God when we're in Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do as we forgive others. In the first sermon in this series, we looked at what pride does, that pride consumes our, our heart, it consumes our action, it consumes our life, ultimately. Here's the thing, when we have a heart of grace, here's what our heart of grace is. It's saying, I, I've been forgiven, so what's my action? I'm going to forgive. And what does your life look like? Your life is forgiveness on display, it's the gospel on display, it's Jesus on display. When we have a prideful heart, when we don't give these things to the Lord, what, what, what does our heart say? When we're in a prideful place, our heart says, I've been wronged. I've been hurt. So what's the action? I'm going to make it right. I'm going to pursue justice. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to tear them a new one. It's all about what we're going to do. And what's our life become? Our life becomes judgment and brokenness and bitterness and separation on display. Joseph was able to model this kind of gracious forgiveness, living under grace by saying, as he's seen his brothers, by saying in his own heart, you know what, your pride, your jealousy, your sin led, me, led you to throw me in a pit, to leave me for dead. And even still, even now, here you are saying that you're an honest man, you're living a lie still before your dad. But you know what, I've forgiven you for that. Even though you haven't even asked me for forgiveness, I'm still choosing to forgive you in my heart for the wrong actions you did. I'm still going to look at you and see you as my brothers. So at this point, was that a face-to-face -face conversation between Joseph and his brothers? No, this was all going on in Joseph's heart between him and the Lord. Joseph practiced forgiveness because he was living under the grace of God. He was able to forgive them freely. Here's the thing. The only way Satan can hook you from, from not experiencing, from not living under the grace of God, is to get you in that place of pride. Hebrews 12 says this, see to, see to it that no one fails to obtain what? To obtain the grace of God. How, how would you fail to obtain the grace of God? This is how. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Not practicing forgiveness in your life, it's a trap from the devil to wind you up in bitterness and anger and hurt. You're not living under the grace of God. 
Joseph's able to extend this forgiveness to his brothers freely. So, so here's, here's what happens. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of the story as we move on. So the, the brothers go home to Jacob, their dad. And, and along the way, you can see in verse 28 that they actually realize that they still have, have money in their sacks. So, so they come back to Jacob, and Jacob's like, well, how'd it go? And they were like, well, not great. He actually kind of spoke roughly to us, and, and, and he, let, he, he kept Simeon there. So Simeon's actually in jail back in Egypt, and, and now they want, you to, they want us to bring Benjamin, your favorite son. They want us to bring him back with us. And we did get some food, but, oh, by the way, we find money in the sacks, and we didn't actually pay for it, so he probably thinks he, we stole from him. And Jacob's like, ah! Verse 36, Jacob says this, you have bereaved me of my children, so Joseph is no more. He's like, remember what happened when I sent Joseph out with you? Joseph is no more, and now Simeon is no more. He's in jail. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. But so the famine was so severe that they had to go back. They had to go back and get more food. So again, we see Joseph's heart of forgiveness. Chapter 43, verse 11. The father, Israel, says to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. He's like, take, take the best things that you can possibly think of. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. He's like, you better lay on the, the good treatment thick and just pray for mercy because it's not looking good for you guys. Here's the thing though. Joseph did not forgive so he could get something back from his brothers. Think about it. He, he was ruler over Egypt. What could they give him? Joseph in chapter 43, verse 23, we see that he doesn't take the credit for his forgiveness or, or wanting to forgive. He gives all the glory to God. They come back to Joseph and they say, this money was in our sacks and, and we didn't realize. And he, what does Joseph say to them? He says, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. Now, now physically, who put the money in the sacks? Well, Joseph ordered for that to happen. It was, you could say it came from Joseph, but, but Joseph's saying, no, 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 that was from God. When we forgive, that's how we're to forgive. We're saying, you know what, it, it's not about me. It's not, about, it's not even about, oh, I took, the, I took the high ground. I was the bigger man and forgave you first, right? It's saying, no, 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 I, I'm forgiving you because I've been forgiven. It's all about God. It's not about me and how great I am. It's about God. Joseph still loved the brothers even though they had been against him. So for us, what does forgiveness truly look like? Well, I have four points. We're really making four promises to someone as we forgive them. The first is this. We're saying, I will not dwell on this incident. Joseph wasn't fixated on, on what had happened, and he hadn't spent the 20 years mulling over what they'd done to him. Number two is this. I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. Joseph wasn't interested in laying it out all to his brothers, what they had did, and, and how he was going to get retribution. Number three is this, I will not talk to others about this incident. Joseph brought it before the Lord. He didn't go around and gossip and share it with everybody else and say, this is what my brothers did to me. Number four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us and hinder our relationship. Joseph is a humble man of faith, a man understanding the grace of God, not only wants to forgive, he also wants to pursue the relationship. He wants restoration to happen. He wants the relationship to be restored. So when you find yourself at this point in the story, you're like, so why hasn't Joseph revealed himself to his brothers then, right? Why is he playing this whole kind of cat in my, like, is he just making them sweat? Is he just kind of having fun with them? Like, what's going on with this? Well, here's the thing. You, you may be able to forgive someone in your own heart, but it doesn't mean that there's automatically restoration there. Think about it this way, okay? If you have a friend and you go over to their house and for whatever reason, you've done no wrong to them, but for whatever reason, you just get them on a, on a really bad day, you go into their house and they're like, you know what? I hate you. I hate everything about you. I hate the way you just walked in here. I hate the way you dress. I hate the way you talk. I, hate the way, I just hate everything about you. I don't want to see you ever again. Get out of my house. They throw you out of their house and they, they slam the door. Okay, you, you can forgive that person for their actions. Here's the thing. If you walk up to, to their door the next day and, and you knock the door and you say, hey, I just wanted to let you know you were, you were majorly out of line there. I thought your attitude stinks, but, but don't worry. I've forgiven you. How's that going to go? Well, you're probably going to duck a right hook at the door, right? 
There's not going to be restoration automatically happens there because here's the thing. If they don't think they need forgiving, if they don't care to be forgiven, if they don't ask for forgiveness, then there's no restoration. Your heart can be right before the Lord, but their heart and therefore their outward situation, their approach to you, it may just be in the same place of brokenness. So what do you do with that? You give it to the Lord. You pray for them. You pray that they would experience the grace of God that that you've experienced, the reason why you're coming with forgiveness. You, You pray that they too would come to that place. And it's not on you, but you give it to to the Lord in prayer. Because here's the thing, in order for restoration to happen, there has to be two key things. There has to be both forgiveness, but there also has to be repentance. It's forgiveness and repentance that makes restoration possible. So that brings us back to the question, because does forgiving someone just make us doormats as Christians? Uh, you know, I, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm called to forgive my partner or my mom or my dad or, or someone who abused me, but does that mean you just walk back into that situation? My husband or my, my wife, they cheated on me, and, and I understand I have to forgive them, but, but do, I just, do I just accept them back as if they did no wrong? No, no you call them to repentance. For a relationship to be restored, there must also be repentance. Yes, you forgive them, but then you start to walk out repentance because without repentance, a truly, without a truly repentant heart for the wrong that was done, guess what? You, you might be able to, to, to play happy families for a little while and get along with each other for a little while, but if you're not truly sorry for what you did, if that's still in your heart, those actions are going to come out again and you're going to be back to the same situation where you were. Remember, all of the brothers had conspired to kill Joseph. They were all out for themselves, looking to be the favorite, They hated Joseph because he was daddy's favorite, the one that dad kept at home, right? Well, they were looking after the sheep. So the second the brothers walk in, is Joseph going to say, hey, guys, it's me, it's Joseph, come for a hug. No, right? He's going to see, are they repentant? He He doesn't reveal himself to them straight away, but he does pursue repentance. He does all that he can to pursue the relationship being restored. So that's our second point this morning is this, living under grace means I practice forgiveness, but living under grace means I also pursue repentance. Do the brothers have a repentant heart? Well, let's look. Go, go back a little bit to chapter 42. Chapter 42, when the brothers are coming to Joseph for the first time, when they come in and they bow themselves before him, in verse 22, Joseph sees a snippet that perhaps the brothers are repentant. Perhaps the brothers are actually taking ownership of their sin. Reuben says this when he's accusing them of being spies. Reuben says this, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? Talking about Joseph, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Reuben's saying, it's our own actions that's got us into this mess. He's owning and taking the responsibility for what's happening. And then look again, we see, we see later in that chapter when the brothers have to return to Jacob and say, Simeon's in prison and, and we need to take Benjamin with us as well. And, and Jacob's so disheartened. What does Reuben say? Reuben in verse 37, he says this, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Reuben's heart was repentant for what he had done to Joseph. He was the one who came up with the idea to throw Joseph in the pit. He was the one that was okay with his brothers to go back and show his dad, oh, it looks like Joseph died. He was, it looks like he was killed by a wild animal and he's seen the heartbreak and the hurt that he caused to his dad. And he said, I'm not willing to do that again. That's what it means to be repentant. You, you're, you're making a t- turn, you're making a change in your life. You're saying, this is the way I was living. This is what I've maybe been doing even for years, but, but now I'm gonna pursue this. Now this is what God is calling me to. This is where I'm going. So we can see the brothers do appear to be repentant. But of course, Joseph isn't seeing all this. This is happening back home, so Joseph has to see it for himself. So we see chapter 43, verse 16. They bring Benjamin back, so the brothers return. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of the house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So Joseph brings them all in and he, he eats with them. He, he loves on them. But now we're going to see in chapter 44, what does Joseph do? Chapter 44 is entitled, the, uh, Joseph tests his brothers. He's going to bring about a scenario where the brothers will have to choose between putting themselves first, like they've done for so long, or putting themselves last. 
where the brothers have a choice to live just as they have done for years, or a choice where they can choose differently and live humbly. So when the brothers are leaving for a second time with with all their food, and, and Joseph's invited them in, and they've had a meal with him, chapter 44, verse 1 says this, Then he, then Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, Fill the man's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth, sorry, in the sack of the youngest. So when they leave the next morning, the steward chases them down, and he says, whoa, 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 you guys aren't going anywhere. Someone's stolen from the Lord of Egypt. Someone's stolen from Joseph. So we're going to see now where the brother's willing to, to sell Benjamin out, just like they did Joseph in the past. What are the brothers going to say? Well, chapter 44, verse 8, the brothers say, how, how, how then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? They're saying, your Lord gave us food and money and treated us well. How, how could we steal? So they agree. Verse 9, they say, whichever of your servants is found with this cup, with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. The chief says, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. Can you imagine the tension as you're going down the line? No, not here. No, not here. Get to the last one with Benjamin. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Verse 13, then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. That's got to be the longest trip back to the city for them. So now we see the heart of Judah. Judah, who had been the one with Joseph to say, what profit, is we, if we, what profit is it to us if we kill him? Let's sell him. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Joseph saying, do you not know the kind of power I have over you? Judah said, what what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose whose hand the cup has been found. Joseph's no longer, uh, sorry, Judah's no longer trying to talk himself out of the situation. He's no longer trying to think, how can I pin this on somebody else? He's like, yeah, this this is on all of us. This is on me. Here's my guilt here. I'm, yeah. I'm going to accept the consequence. Here's how I've sinned. He says, let us all become servants. Verse 17, Joseph says, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Here's the key part, right? It's like you're in the dark room with all the guys and like you're, you're wondering what's going to happen to you and, and somebody opens the fire exit and says, hey, you guys can all leave. We just want him. They had their ticket out of there. You want to be a slave to Pharaoh for the rest of your life for stealing from him? What does Judah do? Judah comes and he, he, he pleads with Joseph. He, he, he tells Joseph what's been happening. Verse 33 says, Now therefore, please let your servant, he's saying, please let me remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. Judah's willing to make the sacrifice of himself to take ownership of his situation and say, I'll spend my life in slavery. Let Benjamin go. Verse 34, for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Judah's not willing to do what he did to his father again. Judah's not willing to do what he did to the youngest again, to Benjamin now. Judah has a repentant heart. And Joseph sees that the brothers have truly changed. They aren't willing to go back to their old ways of life. And we're going to see the results of a repentant heart in just a moment. But before we get there, back to the question, what was the wisdom in Joseph testing his brothers? He wanted to see if they'd repented. He wanted to see if restoration was possible. So maybe you're here this morning and you're longing, you're wanting a a relationship to be restored. Maybe you've forgiven someone, and, but you're wondering, well, what does repentance look like for, for that person? How, how can I tell if they're in the same position? Can I trust this person again? Should I enter into that friendship or relationship again? Can I open myself up to that person again? Is there hope for my friendship or my relationship? Can we go around testing everybody like Joseph did? No, probably not. But here's the thing. We can look for a repentant heart. So very quickly, what does a repentant heart look like? 
We've got six points. The first one is this. We own our own sin. We don't try to justify it. We don't try to say, well, yeah, here's how I sinned when we're repenting. Here, here's how I sinned, but that's because you really pushed my buttons and that's because you hurt me. So, so that's why I sinned. It's, it's kind of on you too. No, no, no. We, we own our own sin and say, this is on me. This is, how, this is where I acted wrongly. Secondly, we, we confess our sin. We want to confess our sin because it weighs heavy on us. We're personally convicted of the wrong that we've, did, that we've done. So we're not just confessing because we're like, oh, shoot, we're about to get caught. So, so I'll confess before, beforehand. Or if you do get to that place and someone confronts you, you, you confess freely. It shouldn't have to be pried out of you. So you shouldn't have to be like, okay, so tell me that story again. Well, wait, you didn't say that the first time. So, so did that happen too? And you should confess freely. Thirdly is this, we're eager to make amends. When we're repenting, we should be eager to make amends. We should be willing to accept the consequence and take the difficult steps necessary to make things right. Well, 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 I confess to you, but I don't really want to get into counseling, and I don't want to do all these other things that we have to go through now. No, we should be eager to make amends. Number four is this. We do not demand forgiveness. We're patient with those we've hurt. We understand that when trust is broken, that it's going to have to be rebuilt. We know that we don't deserve forgiveness. So we don't say, I, I confess to you, you have to forgive me. We have to, we have to keep going like nothing ever happened now. I confess, so you have to forgive me, so let's keep going. Number five is this, we welcome accountability. If we're repentant, if we're truly wanting to turn away from our sin, from our old way of life, you know what? We're going to welcome whatever tools we can put around us to help us walk in that way. If our heart is truly there already, we're going to want to embrace these other things. So if you're repentant, but you're like, no, you know, if you resent, I, I don't want to have to be accountable for my time or where I am or what I watched or, or where I'm going. I, like, I, I don't want to have to give my phone over to somebody. Like, that's my passcode. You don't get to know that. We should want every opportunity to say, here, yeah, here, here's how I broke your trust in the past. Here's what happened. Hey, hey let me, yeah, like absolutely, here, whatever you need to, to start to mend this, this brokenness. Number six, and our last one is this, we seek grace from God, not just relief from guilt. Confessing something can feel great. You've been carrying this weight, this shame around with you for a long time, and you finally confess it, and you're like, man, that feels good. And you just walk out. That's not what true repentance is. Repentance is saying, Here, here's, here's what I've done. You're broken about it. You're, you're longing for, for that grace of God. You're longing for that forgiveness for the other person. You're, you're willing to walk the road to rebuild and repair. You're willing to embrace even the consequences of, of what's to come. Joseph's desire was always to restore the relationship with his brothers. But up until now... It hadn't, been, it hadn't been a face-to-face -face conversation with them, but now Joseph sees that they're truly repentant. So in, in chapter 45, it says this. It says that his brother's repentance, it, it brings him to tears. Verse 2, he, he wept aloud. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my, is my father still alive? Verse 4, he says, I, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. He's not forgotten about the sin. He acknowledges it, but he, he doesn't hold it against them. Verse 5, he says, do not be dismayed or angry with yourselves. He doesn't wish them any guilt or shame. Because why? Joseph, Joseph got that even all the bitterness of her, because he was a humble, uh, a humble man with a humble faith in God. He knew that God was sovereign over all of his circumstances, even the hurt that came against him. Verse 5, he says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 8, he says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph understood that all of his life's circumstances, even the evil that came against him, it could be used for God's glory when he lived under God's grace. It was by God's grace that he got to live the life he did, regardless of the circumstances. At the very end of this story, Genesis 50, he, he talks to his brothers and he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Here's the thing, do we think like that? Do you think like that this morning? When someone wrongs you, do we see it as another way in which we can give God glory? When we are wrong, do we see it as an opportunity to forgive and glorify God? Or do, or do we hold on to it as bitterness and we maybe even question God's goodness when evil comes against us or his protection for us? 
And we see that even when someone means to bring hurt or harm against us, we, by forgiving, can say, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. That I can share the gospel, that I can put my faith on display as I forgive you. How quick are you to practice forgiveness? Do you long to forgive? How quickly are you to repent when you've wronged someone? Do you long for it? Do you pursue repentance? Living under grace means I practice forgiveness, I pursue repentance, and, and lastly and quickly this morning, it, it also means this, living under grace means I pour out blessing. Chapter 45, verse 10, Joseph says this to them, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. He's saying, bring it all down here. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that this is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you've seen. Hurry and bring my father down here too. Then look what he does. Then he fell upon his brother, his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Verse 15. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. The brothers who had all sinned in various regards against Joseph. Some wanted to kill him. Judah said, Let, let's sell him. Reuben said, let's just throw him in a pit and I'll come back for him later. Joseph accepts them all in the same manner. Joseph never took his eyes off God and he understood that God had, had blessed him so that he could be a blessing to others. That God's grace in his life means that he was ready to extend grace to others as that's how we think this morning. And as a relationship is restored, we long to, to pour out blessing and love on others. Here's the thing. If we leave from here this morning just thinking that we learned something about forgiveness, we learned some good stuff about repentance, and, and hopefully maybe we'll be able to restore some relationships with it, that's, that's good, that's great, that's part of my prayer for us this morning. But if that's all we get from that, then we miss the whole point of the story of Joseph. Because like every Old Testament story, the story of Joseph was pointing off the story to come. Joseph the man was pointing to a greater man to come, the Messiah to come. Joseph, the story of Joseph is pointing to the story of who Jesus is. Joseph was a reflection of the Jesus to come and what he would do. Think about it. Joseph was the beloved son, right? The favorite son. Who was Jesus? Jesus was God's one and only son. Joseph had a dream, a message to share with his brothers that weren't going to be popular. Jesus came to this earth and shared, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Joseph was rejected and despised. Jesus was rejected and despised by the people he came to save. Joseph was sold as a slave for 20 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Jesus was betrayed and sold by Jesus for how much? 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave then. Joseph was left for dead. Jesus was left and sentenced to death on a cross for us. Joseph was even exalted here on earth as commander over Egypt. Even before Jesus' death, he was exalted for a time when he rode in on a donkey and people were singing Hosanna to him. And Joseph's crowning moment in this story it was not becoming ruler in Egypt. It was pouring out grace to his brothers and forgiving them and saying, it's not about me, it's about God. Jesus' crowning moment on this earth wasn't performing miracles or even being bowed down to. Jesus' crowning moment on this earth was a crown of thorns when he was put upon a cross and he, and he was able to say, not my will, but your will, God. It's not about me. And Joseph brings the brothers to this new land full of blessing. Jesus says to us, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you that where I am in heaven, there you may be also. Jesus came and died so that he could bring us the land of blessing to, to heaven that we could enter into the kingdom of God. Just as Joseph offered his brother forgiveness, Jesus offers forgiveness to us for our sin so that restoration with God our Father is made possible. So if we think about it this morning in terms of us and our lives, if forgiveness and repentance equals restoration, the forgiveness for us in the gospel, Jesus offers that freely to all of us. The repentance, that's us. That's you this morning. Have you repented this morning? 
Have you confessed your need of Jesus this morning? Have you confessed your need of him this morning? Because when you do, and if you do, the restoration is possible, and that restoration for us is eternal life. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's being able to truly experience God in all of his greatness. So as the worship team comes up this morning, that point in Genesis 50 where Joseph said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many should be kept alive. That meant so much more. I was talking about us today that because who was, who was Joseph? It said that many would be saved, but who else was saved? Judah was saved. Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, was saved. He was kept alive. Out of the line of Judah who would come, Jesus, the, the lion of Judah, Jesus would come so that many of us could be kept alive through him. So what are, you, what are you doing with Jesus this morning? Are you living a prideful life before God? Are you refusing to repent? Are you denying your need of Jesus this morning? Jesus says if you deny him here on earth that he'll deny you before your father. Jesus freely offers, offers that gift of forgiveness to us. Guys, that's where, where Russ said at the start that God's word is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, that we can read a story in Genesis that happened thousands of years ago. And even then, even in the first book of the Bible, God was, God was pointing towards, it's all about Jesus, it's all about salvation plan, it's all, this is what it's all coming down to, where Joseph said, behold, I've had this dream, and all of the prophets said, behold, this is what the Lord has said, and then finally John the Baptist comes and says, behold, the Lamb of God Behold the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. He's like, it's all, it was all about that. So what are you doing with Jesus this morning? Are you, are you living Jesus' side in your life? Are you practicing forgiveness? Are you, are you pursuing repentance? My prayer and my hope for all of us this morning is that we are. If you haven't, if you don't know, if, if, if that relationship with God this morning has not been restored in your life, if you've never repented, you want to do that this morning? There'd be no greater joy than for us to be able to do that with you. It's a personal decision for you, and you can make that in your own life and in your own heart even right now. But if you want someone to, to talk to, someone to guide you through that, someone, someone to walk with you, then we would love to be part of that. Come down after the service. Come, come talk to us. Come share with us. Come pray with us. Maybe you have someone in your life. Maybe God's been speaking saying you need to forgive someone. You need to practice repentance with someone. Come and, come and pray. That's, that's what it's all about this morning. Would we be a people that are desperately seeking for Jesus and, and desperately and, and descending? And would we be a people that truly experience the greatness of God? Let's stand together and sing.